0: You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Just uh, shared. It is a great joy to, to get to know uh, some of your leaders, your elders, and and your church, especially over this last year as you've sought to join. Uh, the fellowship, and it is a real joy of mine. First, to be a part of the fellowship, but then also to to get to represent the fellowship where where I go. And and uh, it's been a real joy to get to know uh, your church and what God has done to start a great work here. And I know He is faithful to bring it to completion. And so we are excited for this journey that we now get to be on together. And uh, as Ian also shared, not only do I serve with Feb Central Church Planting, uh, but I also uh, a lot of my time, <laughs> pastor uh, the Meadows Church, which is another church uh, here in the city, in Mississauga. And so I'm only like 10, 15 minutes away from you guys, and so it's great to see uh, just what God is doing across our city. And I know many times we can look around and say, you know, where, where is God uh, in, in Mississauga? You know, where are all the Christians? Where is God doing to save people? And, and uh, it's just always a good joy that we get to look up and say, hey, look what he's doing. Look what he's doing to transform lives. And so, it is grateful to, to be here uh, this morning. And last week, as Ian shared, uh, I asked Jeremiah, Pastor Jeremiah, who's a good friend of mine, and I said, hey, what did you preach on? And he said, Advent. And I said, I guess that's a good, a good time of the year to be doing uh, Advent. <laughs> and uh, as he spoke last week on hope, I wanted to speak this week on love. Love. As is one of those key candles in the Advent season. At our church, the Meadows Church, uh, throughout the last, uh, uh, actually next Sunday, will be the 12th time we are going through a whole series on love. We are calling it Love Better. Love Better. Because as a church, we, we, we hopefully pride ourselves or we, we encourage each other to, to love better. That we are a church that is hospitable, caring, love one another. Our slogan for the church is that we love our neighbors because Jesus first loved us. We all know we can always grow better in love. We want our marriages to be more foundational on love. We want our parenting to be more foundational on love. We want to make sure our missions and our outreach is more foundational on love. We want to love better. So hopefully I can say as we've, we're, we're bringing this to a conclusion next week, hopefully our church is loving better. But that is my hope for us today today. My hope for you is is I can encourage you in that same way. As we think of the Christmas season, I want us to love better. And so today we're actually going to do something a little bit maybe unique or different, is we're actually going to look at two different passages. I read for us John chapter 1, and we'll get there in the second half. But in the first half, I actually want to go to the passage we've been basing this entire series off of, which is probably one of the most kind of of out-of-context, taken-out-of-context passages in all the scripture which is 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, maybe you have even memorized parts of this chapter. The reason I say that is one of the most passages that is used the most out of context is because when you think of 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to ask you, what, what do you think of? What setting? What ceremony? And if you had this at your wedding, don't be offended, Okay. But many times this passage is used for weddings. If you're a pastor and you're asked to preach at a uh, a wedding or do, do a wedding, typically 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the first ones that kind of comes to mind. But you know what? The author of 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul, was not thinking about a wedding, he was thinking about the church. He was thinking about the church. He was thinking about believers. He was thinking about not just not just a gathering, you know, one gathering a week, but also throughout the, the rest of the of, of the week, the rest of their lives. How can the church love better? How can we as Christians look at each other and say, I need to love you? Now, we have been very much applying this to our marriages, we've been very much applying this to our parenting and our Outreach, but primarily 1 Corinthians 13 is all about how you guys can love each other better. And so that's the context I think we, we need to, to have. Now, here in Canada, you probably realize this. As Canadians, we always say that Canadians are, are nice. And maybe if you live somewhere else and move to Canada, you maybe would kind of say the same. That they're nice. But also, Canadians, just like our climate, can be cold. We kind of redefine what it really means to love. Well, we we think if we are to love our neighbors, it just simply means that we don't harm them. If anything, we might even just want to we want to leave them alone. If you guys live in Mississauga or GCA or even probably anywhere in Canada, you know that uh, your garage door is, is sometimes like a, like a moat of your castle. All right, it's a drawbridge that kind of goes goes down to get in, and then it goes back up and no one else kind of talks to each other. I know on my street, it's, it's actually so challenging to get to know the neighbors on my street, but I can get to know like, the neighbors on the next ones or just through like, my kid's school or through their programs, um, but the ones right around, it's like they don't want to engage. And we think we're being nice neighbors or loving neighbors, but really, we're just not doing anything mean to them. But that doesn't mean that we're actually loving them. And even here within the church... We might say to ourselves, well, I don't, I don't hate anybody in the church. I haven't called anybody names. I haven't done anything mean to them. But doesn't mean that you're actually loving them. It doesn't mean you're loving them. Now, I know every single person on this world could probably think of the word love and probably come up with so many different ways of, of defining what that means. Love is such an abstract word. We use it all the time, but it is so abstract to what we actually think it might be. But for us as Christians, the really nice thing for us as Christians is that we actually have a concrete definition about what love is. And the simplest of all is just three words. God is love. God is love. Well, one way that's nice for us, that's that's easy for us, and we say, well, what is love? We just look at God. Now we have to define who, who God is. <laughs> it's an even bigger challenge. And so for us, God is love. God is love. But for us, we know who God is because we can look at the gospel. The gospel, as I, I typically always say, is just God's love on display for us. God in this, you know, has He's acted throughout history. And So we just need to look back. We just need to look back to what God has done for us. And that's what I want us to do. Actually, we're going we're to first, in 1 Corinthians 13, it actually forces us to look forward. To look forward to what God is going to do in history that hasn't yet happened. What is going to happen at the end of times? And so here's kind of my simple aspect of how we can love better. We first need to look forward, and then next we also need to look back. We need to look to the future, And what God will do, but then we also need to look to the past of what God has already done. And that's kind of where our two passages are going to come into play here. And so 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to jump in near the end of 1 Corinthians 13 at the last description. It's got so many descriptions in it. If you want to, you can go back and listen to our sermons online (laughs) if you got the time. Uh, Or grab a good book or just trying to spend lots of time in this chapter But we're going to jump to verse 8, as we see the last kind of description, the last qualitative um, aspect of what love truly is. So let me read for us in verses 8, and we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter, in verse 13. It says this. It says, love never ends. That's what we're going to focus on today. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, and this is future thinking, this is end of times. When Christ comes again, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was like a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now I we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I know I shall know even uh, fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So the description that we find today is. The aspect that love never fails. Love never ends. Different translations kind of write it differently because sometimes it's a hard concept to kind of get into such a short, you know, three-word aspect description. And so here in the, in the English Standard Version, it says love never ends. It will never come to an end. True love never comes to an end. It continues to go on and on and on and on. Another way of saying it, another translation says, love never fails. You can always count on it. You can always trust that someone or something is going to be there for you. It will never fail. Third translation, love never falls apart. Love never falls apart. The same verb that's kind of used here to describe love is also Paul uses the exact same one in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6. And it says, Yet among the, among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Again, Paul here gets us to focus on what love is going to do, not just in this life, but in the life to come, in the future sense. He says in chapter 2 that this age and the rulers of this age, the powers of this age, everything in this world will eventually come to an end. But in the positive sense, he says in chapter 13, love will not. So Just like as we as Christians expect when Christ comes again, our world to, to end, and then he'll bring about the new heavens and the new earth, and we're excited for that day, and the old will pass away, well, the one thing that will not is love. Even the ends of the earth will not stop love. This is the love that God talks about. How many of you guys have been rock climbing before? I've gone a number of times. and my, my kids, I've taken my kids, I've got two kids, uh, 10 and, and 7, and and uh, just in the, the, uh, the summertime, we, we went back to a place and we did some rock climbing. And, and so my son's maybe done this maybe three times in, you know, over his lifetime. And, and this time, the third time, he was so much more better at climbing. He was able to have confidence. He was able to get higher than he's ever gotten before. And, and I think the key reason was he trusted that the rope would hold him. In rock climbing, you have a blair, or even what he was doing, they have like on automatic ones now where uh, you just kind of jump, and it will slowly let you down. If you're rock climbing, you're probably instantly always thinking, am I going to fall? Am I going to die? (laughs) Am I going to get hurt? And as a kid, I would definitely be thinking those things too, as my, my son was probably doing. But he knew, and he began to slowly trust that the belayer would not let him fall. He would not fail him. And so as he did, he trusted, and he got better and better and better. But as he got better, it was always connected to his trust in this idea that it would not fail, that it would not fail. And for us, that is what the heart, the mentality that we need to have, that the love of God will never fail. But then here, as Paul talks about it, the application is then, if that's what God's love is all about, and that's what needs to be our what our love is all about. When we love our spouses, do, do our spouses trust that our love will never fail? Or do they think there's a limit to it? Do our kids think that there's a limit to our our love? Do our neighbors think that there is a limit to our love? Do those in our church think that there is a limit to our Love. And I'm not talking about we all have physical restraints, we have time restraints, but I'm talking about getting to a certain point in time where you could love them and you just kind of say, I don't think so. I'm done. <laughs> I've given enough. I've spent enough. This is it. I could give more. I just don't want to. But look what Paul says. He goes on to explain this concept of, of love never failing a little bit more. Verses uh, continuing on in verse eight, he talks about prophecy. What is prophecy? He says, "This prophecy will pass away." What about tongues? This tongues will cease. Knowledge or foreknowledge? It will pass away. So, what is he saying? He's saying all of the gifts. Which, if you look at chapter twelve, you look at chapter fourteen, they're all talking about the gifts. And so many times, that's what we end up focusing on. We're focusing on our skills, our abilities. But what are you really trying to say in the middle of this, kind of the peak of this, the heart, the center, the center of this whole discussion about using your gifts to serve people, he's saying what? What is the most important thing? Love. Love. And so, if you want to get really good at prophecy, you want to get really good at teaching, if you want to get really good at, at serving, if you want to get really good at using the tools that God has blessed us with, that's great, but realize that when Christ comes again, they're useless. <laughs> They've served their purpose. I don't know if you like working with your, your hands. I, I, I like doing projects around my house, and, and I like collecting tools or buying tools, you know, when I, when I can, and, and I like kind of sharpening my skills. But, it, but there's a joy in completing a project, but there's also a bit of a sadness in it too because you work so hard at these skills, you, you bought these tools, but now the project's done and the tools are just sitting in your garage now, right? Well, there's a joy in doing those. There's a faithfulness. We got a job done. But we got to realize that our focus needs to not be on the skills, but on the, the love. Because it will last forever. Look at verse 11. Paul says, this, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I was a man, I gave up childish ways. Even this, this past week, my <laughs> it's always a challenge when I pick up my kids from, from school. It's always like, hey, how was your day? And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And typically, what defines that is my kids' interaction with their friends. <laughs> and, and I know uh, even this, this past week, my, my son, uh, one day, I picked him up, and he didn't have a good day. And I was like, well, what's going on? So One of my friends said he didn't want to play with me today. And, and for that, it was love stopped. Love stopped. It, it, it hurt. And, and I think especially when we're, when we're a kid, you know, when we're immature, we, we have so much of a focus on, on ourselves. And we just, can't, we just can't help that, right? As kids, you almost need that just to survive. But, but it's the selfishness that, that God doesn't want us to, to live, right? It, it's, a, it's an immaturity that the mature people think about others. Mature people think about others. That's almost like the sheer definition of what maturity is, right? If you're a parent, well, well hopefully it's because you've now chosen to now care for another person, you can now take care of yourself, which is great. But real maturity is not just being able to take care of yourself. It's also about the ability to take care of others. You guys have elders in your church, and, and we're grateful that we just are bringing on or just brought on two, two elders. Our first kind of time having a team of elders. I'm so excited you know, for that and, and being grateful for these guys. Well, really, the sign of an elder is not just the ability to care for themselves, It's also the desire and the ability to care for their family. But then it's an extension beyond that. They're able to care for the family of God. And so maturity is about not just focusing on ourselves, but focusing on on others. And then we get to this further definition in verse 12, kind of helping us further understand, what does this mean that love never fails, never ends? Verse 12, it says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, and this is going to be hopefully golden for us as motivation to love. Says, "Now I know in part, but I will, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known." It's interesting if you look into the city of Corinth back in when Paul wrote this in the first century. Uh, the church or the, the city of Corinth was was known for producing and exporting mirrors. But they weren't shiny mirrors like we have today. You can't see all the beauty and the imperfections and the perfections in in your own face if you kind of looked at it. Mirrors back in the day, they were dim. They were bronze uh, uh, mirrors. And so if you kind of looked, you somewhat saw a reflection, but it wasn't very clear. It wasn't very clear. And so what Paul is kind of saying is saying, hey, in this life, in this world, like we can see Christ, we can see God, but we also don't really see him fully. We understand him enough that we have salvation and we can follow him. We can trust in him. But it's not like we're seeing them face to face. Last couple of years, I've been able to go to to uh, Calgary uh, the last two uh, last two years, and I've only gone with myself. as for for ministry, for, for for work, and so I haven't brought my family with me. I feel a little a little bad. Um, but uh, I'm not paying for my flight, so I'm not going to pay for their flight, right? So, <laughs> but if you've ever been to Banff, it is an amazing place, or any of the places there in the Rockies. It is so beautiful, so astonishing. Like, uh, it's one thing to, to look at a picture, but it's a whole other thing to be there in person. And as I've been there, even this, this past October, I was there, and uh, I, I got my phone out, and I'm like, okay, I got to FaceTime my, my family. So I FaceTimed my wife, and, and she was there with my kids, and so I just kind of like showed them around, you know, just kind of took out my phone and just kind of like turned it around, and I was like, oh, that's cool, but, but were they in awe? Not really. <laughs> Somewhat, but what uh, was I? 100%. And this is what Paul is, is talking about. That as Christians, we're getting glimpses. We're kind of getting that, that picture that was texted to us about the Rockies, but we're not there yet, we're not there yet. And so even in the same way, like, we, we have this futuristic kind of looking and excitement for, for what Christ is going to do when he comes. But it's not there yet. And this is kind of where we get into verse 13. He says, but now faith, hope, and love abide. All right, if we, we just talk about what is Christianity, we can, those three words are, are just pivotal foundations, cornerstones, you know, to the faith, even for Advent, right, as well, faith, hope, and love. Now, they're all important, but look what he says. What is the greatest of the three? Love. It's love. Because in the end of times, are we going to need to have faith anymore? We're going to be standing there looking at God. We're going to be fully in his presence. We're, we're going to see him. We don't need to have faith. Faith is believing in what is unseen, right? We're actually going to be able to see Christ. We're going to be able to see God. What about hope? Hope is having a trust in the future that God will fulfill his promises. Well, he's already done that all. <laughs> we'll be standing there face to face. Do we need hope? No, we, we're staring at God. We're, we're, we're in his presence. He's completed all of the promises. But will we still need love? Yeah, because God's picture is for us, the body of Christ, to be together, to be one with each other and one with with God, to be in his presence, to to never even have that feeling of saying, I can't go and serve that person. No, I can't go and help that person. I'm spent. I, I just can't come up with the motivation. Well, no. Love is the greatest because it lasts the longest. That's what Paul's saying here. I'm kind of maybe just pass over this a little bit. In verse 12, going back there. Look at this. He says, this is the future. He says that I will fully know, and I will be fully known. And honestly, when we think about this idea of what is love, this is it. That we fully know God, and that he fully knows us. And when you think about it, for marriage, a key part of that marriage is the idea, the aspect that you get to fully know, or at least as much as humanly possible, the other person. In, in the Old Testament, there's a Greek, or sorry, a Hebrew word kind of used for this. If you're ever reading along, and the Bible's got its PG rating in, in most sections, right? And, and, and if it ever says that Adam and Eve had a child, what does it say? It says Adam knew his wife. Adam knew his wife. As adults, we understand what that means. (laughs) But there's a key concept here. There's a key concept that it is about knowing. It is about seeing. It is about seeing things that other people can't. It's about knowing the intimacy that other people can't. It is about knowing them and then also allowing yourself to be fully known. It's why before, in the garden, before there was sin, Adam and Eve walked around naked, and they were not ashamed. They had nothing to hide. They were fully known, and they knew God. And so this is what Paul talks about. This is what he's saying is is, is our future, our excitement, that we get to fully know God, and God fully knows us. We have nothing to be ashamed of because of what Christ has done. So then we take that future hope, we need to bring it into the present, right? We look at the future and say, well, well, love's gonna exist forever. If we're gonna be known, and we're gonna be, be you know, we're gonna be fully known and we're also gonna know Christ, well then let's make that a reality today. Right? That's what, what God's prayer is. This is what Jesus' prayer is, the Lord's prayer, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Make the future promises a present reality. And so for us as a church, like we get that foretaste of what heaven is going to be like, what the new earth is going to be like. We get to experience it now if we choose to. If we choose to take the gospel and apply it to our life today. And so for us, again, the, the, the first part, we, we, we really need to focus and say, well, what is that eternity like? We look to what the, the second coming of Christ is about. We look to the fact that we won't have to be working hard with skills and our gifts and those abilities. It'll just be about love. But as I said, we look forward, but we also look back. We look to the future, we also look to the past. And I think it's because we have the first coming of Christ that we can be so excited about the second coming of Christ, right? And so jump with me John. John chapter 1, I already read it for us, let me just read the first five verses to get us started again. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that, that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome. It. I said at the beginning that the love is abstract. Love's a difficult concept for people to, to grasp, even for us as Christians to sometimes grasp. But we know, again, that God is love. And even more so than that, we also know that if we're to understand who God is, we need to, 100%, we need to know Jesus. As Hebrews says, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And we get a look at at who Jesus is. He is the exact imprint. He is the exact carbon copy of who the Father is. Even here in verse 18, if you jump all the way to the end of this passage, it says no one has ever seen God. How do we know what God is? How do we know who God is? No one's ever seen him, the only God. Look at this, it says, who's at the Father's side, Jesus, he has made him known. This is why we as, as Christians get to stand on a solid ground. We get to stand on, on what is actually true. This morning, I was already out and about. <laughs> My son had soccer this morning, 8.30 to 9.30, and, and so uh, we, were, we were there and uh, there's been a guy there that I've been building a relationship with uh, and connecting with him. And he's uh, a Sikh. And so uh, we, we've been talking. He generally somewhat knows about me being a pastor, but we never had a really good conversation about it. And, and so uh, actually, when I was there, I brought my Bible and my notes, and, and I was dressed up because I needed to get from soccer to here right afterwards. <laughs> and so it uh, gave me an awesome opportunity to be able to talk with him about, about religion. About the gospel. And even as he was talking, he's still very abstract about, well, it's about being a good person. It's about having, yes, yeah, somewhat of a relationship with God, but, but, but we just kind of have to do what's right and, and do what's good. And, and, and everything was just kind of still a vague, very much a vague concept. What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to love? We know because we just look to Jesus. We just look to Jesus. Verse 1 and 2, it helps us understand who Jesus is in relationship to, to God. It says that in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, before time existed, before our world existed, before anything was created, was the Word. This Word was with God. So, in one way, this Word is separate from the Father, but He was there with the Father. And then also we see in this last part, the Word was God. So in this very unique mindset that even as Christians we have a hard time wrapping our minds around, that the Word, which maybe, you know, spoiler alert, is Jesus. (laughs) But the Word, Jesus, is with God, distinct from the Father, but also fully God. This is who He is. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. This is God made flesh. Verses 3 and 4 help us understand who Jesus is in relationship not to God, but in relationship to the world. And it says here in verse 3, it says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is key. We know in all the scripture, who is creation given the credit to? The God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the one who's created all things. He, 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 he's created you. He knows you. He, he knows everything there is to know about you already. He sets you up. He, he, he knows your, your parents, your ancestors. He knows every string of DNA in your body. As Colossians says, you know, even the fact that we even exist or are able to breathe is because Christ holds it together. Like, this is who He is he, He's God. God of very God. But verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. I assume most of us probably have Christmas trees at home. Or maybe you put up Christmas lights. And why do we do that? There's a bunch of different reasons and traditions for for doing it. Maybe you just did it because that's what you grew up with or your parents did it. But for us as Christians, light, especially at Christmas time, is a big deal. We light up a tree at the darkest time of the year, the darkest time of the day, nighttime, in December. And we know that the sun goes down at 4 o'clock in the afternoon here, right? (laughs) Because it reminds us that Christ... This creator of all, the one who sustains all of life, the one who's, who's made us, who, who is fully God, he's the one who is going to be that light that shines in our broken world. That he's entered it. That he walks among us. And as we continue to go, go down to, to verse 9, it, it kind of repeats back this idea of, of light. He says the true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. As I said, we, we know that our world is a dark place. There's brokenness, there's challenge, and not just out there, but also also in here. We, we know in our own hearts and our lives, although even though we're, we can be saved, we still struggle. We still battle challenges. Marriages are still difficult. Parenting is still difficult. Suffering is still difficult. Our workplaces are still difficult. We are still sinners. We are saved sinners, but we are still sinners. And so, yes, there's a lot of darkness out there, but there's also still a lot of darkness in here. There's hope. There's light. There's love. And this is the greatest act of love. This is the greatest story ever told. That this great light has entered this great darkness. And there is no darkness that is too dark for the light of Christ. Somebody I'm walking with, Christian, saved, but still constantly kind of comes back in his dark times thinking he's, he's worthless. His failures are so great that anything he suffers in life he feels it's because he's deserved it. And in one way he's actually kind of twisting a little bit of the truth because we are worthless. We are broken. We, we do deserve God's wrath. But not in light of the gospel. Those are the things we deserve. But are those the things we get? No. That's what mercy is. is withholding what we actually deserve. The punishments we deserve. And so for him, it's just constantly encouraging him with this gospel. There is not too, many, too much darkness in your life. The light of Christ is brighter than all of your failures. he can overcome and he already has he already has verse 10 he says he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him he came to his own his own people his own people did not receive him can you imagine that I think many times when we withhold love from somebody there's always a back thought in our minds we deserve it or they deserve it they haven't been nice to me they haven't loved me they haven't showed any kindness to me I'm the one who's carrying this marriage I'm the one who's carrying this church I'm the one who's carrying this ministry I've done all these things what about them? can you imagine that? Christ came to our world, and we did not accept him. We did not receive him. There were many years ago, there was a Muslim lady I was talking to, and she was starting to get quite upset, actually. <laughs> she said, if God came down, I would know about it. This is God of the universe we're talking about. He's the one who's created us. If he came down, I would know about it. That's how broken we are. How dark things are. That Christ came to his own people, and did he say, "Forget it. <laughs> you don't want me? No. He came and he received all the rejection in the world. So much rejection that we killed God when he showed up. Now we put him to the cross. And this is the great love of Christ. That he would come to a people that, would, that, he, that he knew would, would reject him. What is verse 14 says? The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. There is no greater love than this. That someone would lay down their life for their friend. As Christ says. And that's what Christ did. As he came to this world and he did the greatest act of love of all. Did, 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 did we deserve it? No. Were we nice to him? No. Did we receive him? No. But this is the beauty of the gospel. That we get what we do not deserve. And Christ got what he did not deserve. So that we could get what Christ deserves. And Christ got what we deserved. This is the light of all men. Again, just like when we look to the future, we got to come back to the present. Just when we look to the past, we got to come back to the present. Later on in John, Jesus says this. This is verse 13, or chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, A new command I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I has loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how are we to love better? First, by looking to the future. Knowing what Christ will do in his second coming. But how else? We're to look to the past and look what Christ has already done to show and display that love for us. But this is the beautiful thing. That Christ comes, and yes, he does all the work for us, but then he calls us to come and follow him and do the same. This passage in John 13 has stuck with me forever and ever and ever. It's just the foundation, again, of, of me for our church. As I said before, the motto of our church, our slogan, is that we love our neighbors, which is great. Everyone wants to love their neighbors. At least they say that. <laughs> But the second half is what is most important for us. We love our neighbors because Jesus first loved us. And so we're going into a new year. My my challenge for you would to be, whether it's even just this holiday season, you're coming up with friends, with family, with church events, those kind of things, is what level of love do you want to see in yourself? What level of love can you challenge yourself to grow to more? And as I said, love is a is a very abstract concept. And so, to get concrete, how do we know what love is? Well, again, first uh, for John thirteen, right? Love as He has loved us. How has He loved us? There's many, many ways. I'll just give you three. First, as John one says, He came and He's well with us. He was present. He was present. It's one thing at our church, especially as new people join our church, and I always kind of like you know drill just into their mind is like. We we do a lot of hospitality, we do a lot of just sitting around over meals, spending time together. And some people walk in and like, where where's the work? Where where's the where's the Bible study? Where's the where's the kind of the you know the 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 agenda? Where's what are we accomplishing in this? The big emphasis is like we will accomplish things, but only when we're present. <laughs> Being present with people is is half the battle. Spending time with your neighbors. When was the last time you were present with one of your neighbors? How much time are you present with people in your church? And not just here on Saturday mornings. Being present is half the battle. And that's what Christ came to do, to be present with us. It's not like we were cool people that he wanted to hang out with. (laughs) No, he came out of love. Second, he put others first. Kind of just define what that love is. The love is lying on your life for somebody else. That's what, again, mature people do, as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. He sought others first. Others first. And for us, when, it, when, when challenging times come, it is so instinctual. Like, we don't have to be taught to think of ourselves first, we just do it. And even as we grow up, when we go through hard times, or even if we're not, we're having a bad day, we're tired. Who do we think about first? Ourselves. Ourselves. But when we remind ourselves of the gospel, what God has done for us in the past, and we remind ourselves of the future, but what, what life will be like when he comes again. We say to ourselves, Christ laid down his life for others, and for me, let me go do the same. I have been so well loved that I can now go love others. The gospel says, and lastly, Christ shows us the Father. We have a point to our love, and it's not just to do nice things for people, but ultimately for them to come to know the Father. Why did Christ come to this earth? Why did He come and dwell amongst us so that people would know the Father, who no one has ever seen, but we have seen the Son as to reveal to us the Father. And so for us, whether it's trying to share the gospel with a friend or someone you're trying to become friends with at your son's soccer game, whether it's somebody in our church, I love hearing stories, especially when it's not someone bragging, (laughs) but of how our people have loved one another in our church. And she doesn't even know that I know, but there's a lady in our church, an elderly lady, and she needed to go to physio and didn't have the money for it and was hoping to kind of wait. She was on a long wait list to go to a physio that could kind of cover her. And one of our families just jumped in and said, go, I'll pay for you. The only reason I know about it is because this lady in confidence told me, which is now in confidence I'm telling you guys. <laughs> but just stories of that love, I know it can only be founded from a love that's based on Christ and with a hope that's for our future. So what does love look like? Don't have it be abstract. You need to make it tangible. You make it tangible by looking to Christ. What has he done so that you can then go and love others? Again, May this Christmas, especially this New Year. Setting, us, setting for us goals, setting for us for ambitions, how can we love better? How can we love like Christ? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this church. It is a privilege, God, that uh, you have created this church, and you've brought this church together. And I pray, God, in the heart of John 13, God, that they would love one another as you have loved them. And may as well, as they go and serve this city and this region, God, that others would look at their love, how much they love their families, their spouse, their kids, their church, their neighbors. May they look and know that there is something special in them, that there is the gospel that's founded in them because of their love for others. So God, I just pray that we would again look to the future. We would look and realize that our eternity is based and founded on you, that we know that although our gifts will fall away, Love will last forever. Your love never fails. And we thank you that we know that by looking back to the past and that you have laid down your life for us, died for us, so that the light would shine and the darkness will one day be no more. And I just pray this on your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.